Welcome to Clear Thinking Out Loud, written and narrated by Mark Tyrrell of Uncommon Knowledge. Hi, I'm Mark Tyrrell of Uncommon Knowledge, and welcome to three questions to help your client see the positives in negatives. How to break the grip of negative belief without coming across like the positivity police. I made a total idiot of myself. I was so nervous. These were the words of Peter, a client who was extremely distressed and actually hitting himself on the head as he said that. So what was the problem? He'd completely screwed up a speech he had to give at work and was now sitting in my office loudly decrying this so-called fact. After offering him my sympathies, because, you know, almost all of us can understand how it feels to not do a presentation as well as we'd like, I asked him, did you finish the speech? And he paused in his hand-wringing and said, yes, I did. So if you'd run from the room, that would have been even worse than it was. And he really thought about that for a few moments. It's not the end of the world as we know it. When something in your client's life goes wrong, it can be very unpleasant. Sometimes they feel as if that means the speech or date or party or day or even their entire life has gone completely wrong. The trouble is that this habit of globalizing one or two things that went a little wrong into a thought like, I made a total idiot of myself, as Peter thought, can lead our clients towards developing depression chronic anxiety or other difficulties, because these emotional conditions track alongside absolutist thought. So as therapists and counsellors, we need to help our clients find ways to turn negatives into positives so they can avoid this problem. Here are three questions you can ask to help turn a negative into a positive for your client, or or at least into a less negative. So number one, how could it have been even worse? Peter agreed with me that if he'd run from the room, the speech experience would have been even worse. I asked him what else would have made his speech even worse than it was, and he soon came up with a long list, including he could have tripped walking up to the podium, his glass of water might have tipped over and shorted out the projector that he was using at the time, a pen he was fidgeting with might have flown out of his hand and into his manager's face, Okay, that was a particularly creative one. You see, we were introducing flexible thought here. Um, he also said the building could have been destroyed in a sudden earthquake, and so on. And the, these are quite absurd and ridiculous, but we're encouraging a greater range of uh, a wider perception. I encouraged Peter in coming up with even more imaginative and absurd worst-case scenarios. And by the end, he was laughing and visibly more relaxed. So rather than arguing or glibly telling your client it could have been worse because that's really annoying, this question allows you to start gently examining together what really did happen without denying that their experience felt like a complete complete failure at the time, but also enabling them to be more flexible. And as Peter started to understand on his own that his speech had gone better than he'd initially thought, he remembered that some people had said his speech was pretty good, although his manager told him he needs to relax more in future when he's presenting. So the disaster wasn't such a disaster. Next, I asked him, what did you do to stop it being even worse? How did you manage not to run from the room, given that you were so nervous? And he replied, 
Well, I knew that my team were depending on this presentation because it's going to affect our budgets for future projects for a long time. So I knew I just had to get on with it. Okay. So how could it have even, how could it have been even worse than what prevented it being as bad as that? Asking what they did or are doing to make this possible, to make it not even worse, returns a sense of control and is a nifty way of locating and building their resources for future therapeutic use. So I said, in a way, you made a courageous speech. And when Peter nodded, I continued. Basic courage is a pretty good starting point to overcoming excess fear and becoming a relaxed superstar of a public speaker one day, is it not? And he sort of laughed at this and he said, well, one day, I hope. And he almost sounded excited by that idea. So if your client says that a change in circumstances is what made the difference rather than that their efforts made a difference, that's still vital information. So you can ask, what do those changed circumstances tell you about what more you need in life to start doing or feeling better? Okay, so what circumstances or why was last Wednesday not as depressing as last Thursday? What was different? How do they know that it's better or worse? Number three, on a scale from one to ten, how bad is it really? Nothing is infinite and eternal except perhaps the universe and a series of Love Island although I'm not sure about the universe. Now, there are always degrees of experience, and scaling is an effective tool you can teach your client for bringing together the first two questions. So you can um, break down unhelpful, globalized, all-or-nothing thinking. Remember, depressive thinking is absolutist. It's extremist. It's all this or all that. Number two, it can, it can help you f- figure out what steps they can take to work towards improvement and solutions. For example, I suggested to Taylor, a client suffering from depression, that if Tem was the happiest she could possibly be, so happy that it annoys the neighbors, and one was the most depressed she could possibly be, okay, then where was she on the scale at the moment when she was in with me? seeing me as a client. And she replied, she was at a three. Okay, so how come you're not at a two? Now, this seems like a negative question, but you're getting your client to think about what they're doing or what's happening. That's a little bit constructive or not as bad as it could be. Uh, So you're starting to gently lead them in the direction of that positive focus. Uh, I suppose Taylor said, it's because I ate lunch in the park today instead of at my desk and the sun was out, which felt nice. And I enjoyed watching two squirrels chasing each other around. Taylor and I also talked about times in the past when she'd been a four or even a little higher than a four. Okay. And when I inquired what her life had given her on one of those four days that might be missing now, she said, well, one day my friend Sue called just to ask how I was doing and really listened to my reply. And it helped to know I have someone who cares. Okay, so we're getting an idea of what someone needs. So scaling can give us both fuel and content to form therapeutic goals. For Taylor, it became clear that things like time outside, her love of animals and social contact with close friends were important for her well-being. So together, we were able to form specific, measurable goals towards making those things more a part of her everyday life. Other questions that can help you um, and your client form small achievable goals include, how will you know when you've risen to a seven? 
Okay, how will you know uh, when you when you've gone up on that scale? What will you be doing differently at a five, for example? And the doing word is very important because goals need to be measurable. A lot of stuff that goes really badly doesn't go completely badly. But if we feel that it's gone completely badly or it couldn't be any worse, then that's a negative spiral. Learning to know the difference as well as what can start to turn a negative into a positive and make things just a bit better can start the ball rolling towards greater well-being and help prevent a lot of unneeded suffering. So I hope you found that useful. I'm Mark Tyrrell of Uncommon Knowledge, and if you'd like to subscribe to my email newsletter, you can find it over at unk.com slash blog. That's unk.com slash blog.